Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. Yesterday on the Hill, Congressman Louis Gohmert held a press conference to strike Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which offers protection to Internet companies from being sued based on the content that is published, so long as everyone retains the right to post to those platforms. In recent years, not everyone has retained that right, and YouTube and other big tech companies have censored free speech under the guise of being responsible to the public. We had a chance to ask Congressman Gohmert what about Section 230 has him most concerned. Well, in 1996, I understand Congress's concern, gee, you know, fledgling companies trying to get going, making use of this thing called the Internet, and it will be referred to later as social media. I understand the concern, but Section 230 was poorly written and, and has been poorly interpreted in such a way that it gives immunity to private companies for taking away uh, First Amendment freedom of speech rights. And I do understand the libertarian part of me says you, you shouldn't be able to tell a private company uh, who they can have on their media and who they do not. Uh, however, in this case, where Congress gave them immunity, Congress does not even have authority to abrogate, take away somebody's uh, First Amendment free speech rights. And yet, it's been interpreted now to mean that the social media private companies can take away Americans' free speech rights and they cannot be sued for it. Well, Congress can't do that. Therefore, they can't give that right to a company when they don't have that right. So it's been interpreted in such a way that it's, it's got to fall. And I know there are some members of Congress that think, well, let's just tweak it a little bit. And I'm telling you, I don't believe it can be adequately tweaked. What do you say to the folks out there, your you know fellow members of Congress, that may say, you know, we just had a big, a big victory for free speech with Musk taking over Twitter, and 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 may not put this in a priority that you think it should? People's right to their First Amendment free speech should not be dependent on somebody getting the financial wherewithal to buy a company that's been given governmental special protection. It shouldn't take that. Either the Congress should strike down 230 or the federal uh, justice system should do that. So we're looking for the, the federal justice judicial system. Take it down. The ins and outs when it comes to Section 230 can be complicated and convoluted, which is part of the reason why it is yet to be resolved. Rachel Brevard is senior tech columnist at The Federalist, and we spoke with her earlier to get some clarity. Rachel Brevard, thank you so much for joining us in the Capitol Report. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Rachel, with the liberation of Twitter dominating the headlines, I just want to get your thoughts about Section 230. Um, I guess just very basic, how are these big tech companies shielded uh, by Section 230? 
So Section 230, as originally envisioned when it was passed in 1996, was designed to protect the companies from being sued for any content posted by their users. It was designed to clean up the Internet, if you can believe it. That was the original intent of the law. It was designed to, again, in encourage companies to remove the things people don't want to see. The pornography, the smut, you know, the harassing lascivious content that people don't want, while at the same time promoting, a, the, as the law says, quote, a, a diversity of views. Now, what has happened over time is that the courts have stretched this provision of law, which is pretty small, it's only 26 words, uh, into a bulletproof shield, you know, protecting these companies when they sort of censor and curate all kinds of content uh, in a way that a lot of First Amendment actors are, are not protected, right? Uh, social uh, newspapers, movie companies, they don't have the same protection that these social media giants have. So the original intent of the law, I think, was probably a good one, uh, but it has evolved in such a way that it has made these companies almost immune to any kind of re recourse by their user or anyone else. So do you think uh, changing Section 230 should still be part of the discussion despite what seems to be a victory for free speech, most recently with Twitter being purchased by uh, Elon Musk? I do think, you know, the reform efforts in Congress, Section 230 among them, need to continue. Uh, you know, I, I do think that what Elon Musk is trying to do with Twitter is is great, but unfortunately, I think altruistic billionaires are in short supply uh, and not necessarily going to save us uh, from all of the, the social media platforms that clearly have a problem with free speech. And at the end of the day, you know, I think these platforms have developed from, you know, just sort of small companies into massive behemoths that now control the entry points to our national discourse, and not to mention the marketplace itself. I'm thinking particularly of Facebook and Google in that regard. And, you know, for candidates, for political speech, they are almost critical election infrastructure. So I think our public policy needs to respond to that. Part of that is Section 230, but I would even go further and suggest, you know, potentially common carriage, you know, should be considered uh, basically saying you have to admit all comers. Um, that's something that's under consideration uh, in the Senate, as well as robust antitrust enforcement. These companies, you know, have gotten away with a lot. And it's been ironic to see people like former President Barack Obama say, oh, we need to police these platforms for misinformation, when under his tenure, uh, they were um, almost immune from antitrust enforcement intentionally. So I do think that the reform efforts in Congress need to continue, despite uh, what Elon Musk may be able to do with Twitter. So we saw how quickly things changed with Twitter. It seemingly happened overnight. Um, how do you think the heads of Google, Apple, Facebook, and other big tech companies are processing this? I have to think they don't particularly like it. Uh, I think if Elon Musk is successful in his bid to transform Twitter into what he calls, you know, more of a free speech company, it will put into stark relief uh, the 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 far more sort of censorious actions that Facebook and particularly Google take when it comes to content that they don't like. You know, one thing that you know, we've seen over the last several years is that these platforms have always acted in concert with one another. You know, when Twitter banned the Hunter Biden story, so did Facebook. You know, it was suppressed in Google search results. So they've always acted together. If Twitter acts independently and begins to allow more speech and more content, it is going to show Facebook and Google for what they are, uh, which is already what we know, right, which is, is sort of these ideologically censorious platforms. Rachel, how big of an influence does uh, social media have on elections and politics in general? Well, I think it has a huge influence, and I think one that we can't even fully grapple with at this point. We've seen some targeted examples of it, you know, when we, things like a, a story critical of a, a you know presidential campaign 
candidate's son was banned right before the presidential election, polling shows that did have an impact on how voters viewed him. When a sitting president of the United States was kicked off a platform, he lost a critical access point to speak to the voters. You see this all the time, too, with political candidates who, you know, their campaigns set aside money for Facebook advertising. Um, You've heard Facebook say Donald Trump used our platform in ways we never even imagined to, you know, when he ran in 2016. And that was part of what made his campaign successful. So I do think that, you know, these platforms have opened up a huge avenue for candidates to speak directly to the voters, but that's not reflected in our our laws. Um, Our laws still say, well, you know, there's no carve out for political speech on these platforms. These companies can ban whoever they want, which would be fine, except that they control, I think, very critical levers to our discourse. So if candidates are not able to access them, that's almost a thumb on the scale of an election at that point. Rachel Brevard, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Dr. Ben Carson was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development during the Trump administration. He was also the Director of Pediatric Neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins. Dr. Carson is the top-selling author of the new book, Created Equal. We're happy to have Dr. Carson on to join us. Dr. Ben Carson, thank you for joining us on the Capitol Report. Absolutely a pleasure, always. Dr. Carson, uh, Dr. Fauci has just declared that the pandemic was over in a recent interview, and then the following day, uh, he seemed to have backtracked on that statement. Uh, What type of effect does this have uh, from your medical uh, perspective, um, sending out mixed messaging to the general public? Well, the general public has uh, lost so much confidence uh, in the CDC and NIH at this stage because of all the flip-flopping. I don't know that it has much of an effect things are already in the toilet as far as confidence is concerned. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to have some some real truth and some real transparency uh, in order to get it back. It's not going to come back anytime soon. If I could just switch gears a little bit and ask you about a recent uh, report. Um, Harvard University has just announced they'll establish a $100 million fund to research and redress its relationship uh, to slavery from around the time of the 17th century. Uh, what are your thoughts on this initiative? Well, if it's if it's done in a truthful way, if we if we look at the real history, I don't have any problem with it. Uh, you know, in our new book, Created Equal, we go into the history of slavery. That's an awful institution. But uh, one thing that people must recognize is that it's been something that has plagued mankind throughout the history of mankind. Uh, As long as there's been written history, we've known about slavery. And uh, so we're not unique in having had it. We are unique in being willing to fight a civil war and lose a large portion of our population to get rid of it. And I hope that uh, that part is brought out. I hope it's also brought out that uh, there were all kinds of slave owners uh, in the United States. Uh, The vast majority of white people in the South did not own slaves, uh, could not own slaves. Those those were things for aristocrats. So to try to paint, you know, a whole group of people because of the sins of, of some of the ancestors doesn't really make a lot of sense. Doctor, you mentioned your book, uh, Created Equal, subtitled The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. When it comes to the confusing present, Are you concerned that the manipulation of race has actually set us back? 
Uh, there's no question it says back. You know, we've made enormous progress in this country uh, in the area of race relations. Uh, when I was a child, uh, it was a very different place than it is now. And when a black person came on television when I was a child and they were not in a servile role, it was a big deal. Everybody came to see it. And, uh, you know, now it's no big deal. In fact, now we have black admirals and generals and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and presidents of universities, including Ivy League universities, uh, heads of major foundations. We've had a black president elected twice, black vice president. I mean, to sit there and say that we haven't made enormous progress, all of that's happened just in my lifetime, that is absolute nonsense. Of course, we've made great progress. Doesn't mean that nirvana has been reached. Uh, we still have a ways to go. But let's build our future on the tremendous progress that we've made and not build our future on the mistakes of the past. Dr. Ben Carson, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.